Hi, listeners. I'm Karen Lee, Research Associate with the Southeast Asia Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Today is May 25th, 2023, and welcome to the very first episode of Pacific Waves, a mini podcast series focused on foreign policy news from the Pacific Islands. Here to co-host the show with me is Jared Tupola, Program Manager and Research Associate with our sister program, the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative. Hi, Jared. Hello, my research associate sister. I'm so excited to be here with you. So, Jared, as we both know, this idea came out of a casual conversation we were having in our office cubicle. Why do you think it's timely for us to have this show? Well, I think Pacific Waves has come about for two primary reasons. First, the Pacific Islands are becoming a region of strategic importance to broader geopolitical competition between the United States and China. Our listeners may be familiar with the security pact between China and the Solomon Islands that came out last year and prompted the United States to step up its presence in the region. Okay, wait, let me stop you there. In the Southeast Asia space, we criticize analysts so much for always framing issues in terms of U.S.-China competition. We'd be hypocrites if we did the same for the Pacific Islands. Patience, Karen. I wasn't finished with my explanation yet. As great powers continue to ramp up their engagement, there is an imperative for more consistent coverage of the region. But beyond trying to understand the Pacific region through the prism of great power competition, the Pacific Islands also deserve to be covered for their own unique policy interests and challenges that do not align with external powers, security views, especially on the issues of climate change and biodiversity loss, which represent an existential threat to the region. Okay, thank you for that clarification. And could you also give our listeners a basic rundown of the differences between Polynesia, Melanesia, and Micronesia, and why it's important for us to cover them all equally? Sure thing. So traditionally, the Pacific Islands are broken down into those three distinct subregions that you mentioned, and each of these regions is culturally and socially distinct with unique environments and polities. Melanesia is the most populous subregion, with countries like Papua New Guinea and Fiji each having millions of citizens, and is one of the world's biodiversity hotspots. Micronesia is comprised of many low-lying islands and coral atolls in the northern Pacific Island region, which make those countries particularly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. The Micronesian subregion is also known for its history as a site of U.S. nuclear testing in the 1940s and 50s, which has distinctly shaped the politics of the region. Lastly, Polynesia is a geographically largest subregion known for its high-lying islands and distinctive visual cultures. While foreign observers may be tempted to lump the Pacific Islands into one monolithic block, it's critical to recognize the diversity of societies and interests that can at times be a source of friction between the different countries and subregions. And listeners, this is why I could not host this show by myself. Thanks again for enlightening us, Jared. Let's dive right into our first story. Last month, officials from Papua New Guinea announced that President Biden would be making a brief stop in the country on May 22nd on his way to the Quad Summit in Sydney. This would have been the first visit by a sitting U.S. president to PNG, and officials had even declared a public holiday for the occasion. But then last Tuesday, Biden said he was canceling both of those visits so he could focus on debt ceiling negotiations in Washington. What do you make of this turn of events, Jared? It's definitely not a good look, especially since the administration has been preaching about how important the Indo-Pacific is to the U.S. Surely so. So on the one hand, it definitely makes the region question the U.S.'s credibility and commitment. A similar situation happened in 2013 when President Obama had to skip an APEC meeting to deal with the government shutdown at home. Not to harp on this again, but a lot of analysts have also been jumping to frame the cancellation as a casualty that China will benefit from, especially since Beijing has deepened cooperation with Pacific Island nations in recent years. Xi Jinping himself visited PNG in 2018, and then Foreign Minister Wang Yi toured eight Pacific Island countries last June, signing a raft of bilateral agreements on trade, fisheries, and infrastructure. 
So let's recap what Biden has done to make amends. He called Prime Minister James Marape on May 18th and invited him to Washington later this year for the second U.S. summit with the Pacific Islands Forum, and also sent Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Port Moresby in his place. Were the deliverables from the visit largely unchanged then? In large part, Secretary Blinken was able to hold together the Biden administration's agenda and secure some major deliverables. First, the U.S. and Papua New Guinea signed a defense cooperation agreement, as well as a maritime security agreement that will boost bilateral cooperation on maritime threats, including illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, drug trafficking, and migrant smuggling. Secretary Blinken also announced that the Department of Commerce will lead the first-ever U.S. business delegation to the Pacific Island countries to explore opportunities across the energy, transportation, healthcare, tourism, and telecommunications sectors. Wow, that's not too shabby. Indeed, this was no social call. But Karen, I think you've been following another specific development that's come out of Blinken's visit that has major implications for U.S. strategy in the Pacific Islands. Of course, I'm talking about the renewal of funding of economic assistance for our compact of free association with Palau, another key Pacific Island partner. You know me too well, Jared. A Compact of Free Association, or COFA, is an international treaty agreement that, among other provisions, allows the United States to operate armed forces in compact areas. More importantly, though, economic assistance, including disaster response and recovery, is a critical component of COFAs, which the U.S. also has with the Federated States of Micronesia, I'll abbreviate this as FSM to distinguish it from Micronesia the region, and the Republic of the Marshall Islands. All three had been due to expire in the next 12 months, but COFA negotiator Ambassador Joseph Yoon signed a renewed agreement with FSM on Tuesday and expects to finalize a deal with the Marshall Islands in the coming weeks. According to Secretary Blinken, the new agreements see the United States providing $7.1 billion in aid to COFA partners over the next 20 years. That's great to hear, Karen. It's definitely worth mentioning that all three COFA partners are strategically located north of PNG and east of the Philippines, making them the Pacific Island countries that are closest to Taiwan. I want to pivot to a related story, though, which was Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi's coinciding visit to Papua New Guinea for the third forum for India-Pacific Islands Cooperation Summit. Karen, what were some of the highlights from his trip? I think Modi's visit really exemplified how the U.S. should be engaging with Pacific Island partners, which is through having a clear agenda, addressing issues of common interest, and just showing up. Like, Prime Minister Marape literally created a Twitter account on Monday just to thank Modi for coming, and the only account he currently follows is Modi's. In the summit's opening session, Modi underlined the importance of a free and open Indo-Pacific, highlighted India's role in providing COVID-19 vaccines to the region, and touted India as a reliable partner in humanitarian assistance and development. I think it's also noteworthy that Modi referred to Pacific Island states as large ocean countries and not small island nations. The entire region manages about one-fifth of the world's oceans, which is no small area. I definitely agree that India's message resonated with the region, especially regarding how countries in the global south should work together. In a BBC interview, Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown said, We don't want our region to be an area of adversarial challenge between our development partners. Rather, we want to find areas of collaboration where we can have the best support to achieve our development agendas and climate agenda. This sentiment echoes language from Southeast Asian leaders and underscores the importance of meeting the region on their own terms. As the chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, the Cook Islands was invited to the G7 Summit in Hiroshima this past weekend. And in his address to world leaders, Prime Minister Brown highlighted the region's disproportional share in shouldering the burden of the climate crisis. And speaking of the G7 Summit, Modi made reference to the Quad leader's commitment to increase cooperation in the Pacific during his visit to Japan. With Biden having to cancel his appearance in Port Moresby, Modi's presence in PNG to advocate for the Quad and a free, open, and inclusive Indo-Pacific goes a long way in solidifying the grouping's commitment to the region in the eyes of Pacific leaders. 
The fact that Modi championed the commitment of all four countries to the Pacific is a signal of healthy cooperation amongst the Quad states, which was further underscored by his equally warm welcome in Australia this week. Hmm. Another recent development worth covering is the opening of new embassies in the region. Earlier this month, the State Department opened an embassy in Nukualofa Tsunga and also reopened its embassy in Oniara, Solomon Islands, in February after a 30-year absence. There are also plans to open embassies in Kiribati and Vanuatu. Hopefully, these diplomatic missions can facilitate deeper relationships between the United States and the region and facilitate greater bilateral cooperation on issues of common interest. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Wait, wait, wait. We didn't even get to cover the PNG foreign minister's resignation. Okay, no, that can be homework for our listeners, especially if they're TikTok users. Now, back to what I was saying before. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of Pacific Waves. Let us know what you thought of our coverage, or our very corny title, by writing to our main email at searadio at csis.org. And if you're not following us already, please hit that subscribe button or give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. Our producers for this episode are Marla Hiller and David Lotfi. I'm Jared Tupuola. And I'm Karen Lee. And we'll see you next month for another episode of Pacific Waves. 